0: Hey, everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlists of clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Dakota playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, You definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com. Slash sleep with me. That's spoke.com slash sleep with me. Check it out. uh, And I'll see you in Golden Gate Park at Stowe Lake. Bye.
1: Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have. Bompus. They're premium high performance athletic socks. And they're so comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased, Bompas donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off The first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. How are you doing today? How are you dear? If you like my theme music there, that's uh, a band called Les Blanks. They're real groovy. Check out more of their music at lesblanks.com. And if you haven't listened to my show before, uh, it is just what the title implies. It's a conversation with uh, me, kind of a free-form, let's-see-what-happens type of a conversation. And uh, today's very uh, awesome guest, it's uh, Jason Macbeth. He is a poet. And uh, though he doesn't want to call himself an activist, he's an activist. He does, uh, teaches poetry in prisons, He and uh, it's a really great conversation. He also uh, went through the foster care system here in our fine United States. So he talks about that and uh, some of the issues with foster care in our fine country. So uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, I just wanted to address Monsanto, and uh, I know I talk about this a lot, but I've had a change of heart. And uh, a lot of people have issues with uh, GMOs and, and, uh, you know, are upset with Monsanto. I'm saying, you know what? You're not doing enough, Monsanto. You're not working hard enough. I mean, it's great, whatever. You're making apples that won't turn yellow or brown or whatever once you bite into them. How about you fucking work a little bit harder? How about I get an avocado the size of John Goodman's head, huh? Wouldn't that be awesome? How about I want pears the shape of bears? Can you do that? Make me some pear bears, Monsanto. Pear bears. Wouldn't that be awesome? Little cute little bears and you get to bite their head off? I want bananas in the shape of dick and balls. I mean, wouldn't that be good for bachelorette parties, Monsanto? You're not thinking here. You're not using your genetically altering capabilities to the best of you can. You know what I mean, Monsanto, you stupid motherfuckers. I I want I want carrots made like uh those two-winged airplanes, biplanes. Where's that, Monsanto, you lazy pricks? Get to work, would you? I'm really upset with you. So upset. <laughs> um. That's it. That's all. That's it for my opening. I'm done. That's my opening. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Those are my sound effects of <laughs> making applause. Um. Hey, listen to this episode and love it. Listen to the You're a poet,
2: and you're. Would you call consider yourself activist? Title fit. Um, you know, I, I honestly no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself an activist just because I think it, it would be unfair to people who really are activists. Um, I, I don't honestly put, it's not something that I do regularly. It's, it's right. more of an impulsive kind of thing for me. I, I have certain causes and things that I, I believe strongly in, but, um, uh, I, activist sounds good to the lady, so Yeah. <laughs>
1: I say it all, I tell people, I'm, I have a girlfriend now, but before, I used to call myself an activist all the time. And you're, but you're also a poet, and how does, how does, because it's not, it seems like poetry, maybe I'm fucking ignorant, but poetry used to be a lot more popular, like in
2: the 50s and 60s, I mean, like, yeah, books would be bestsellers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I... I do think there's we do have a certain tendency to to glamorize it in in retrospect but when the fact of the matter is nobody throughout human history aside from like back in the Greek days was ever really able to make a living just as a poet is you know it's just one of those things we we look back and we're like oh yeah Ginsburg, like he was great I mean he had to do a heck of a lot of other things to eke out a meager existence anyway so and even though he was as back in in that time the beats were kind of like as close as we've come in america to having like rock star poets um yeah uh it's definitely definitely not nearly as popular um and part of that is because of the sort of like oversaturation i think of just shit poetry that came because of the popularity (laughs) of the beats you know um i i think uh the 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 panning of poetry that uh that um what's his name the actor and so i married an axe murderer oh mike myers yeah mike myers did you ever see so i married an axe murderer you know i've never happened he then does this comes great send-up of it where he's like he's like kind of doing a send-up of uh, of beat poetry with the snapping and it's just it's really spot on um so i i think unfortunately but in certain aspects for good reason uh <laughs> poetry is not as popular but um i have absolutely no problem with that i i'm i, I the the things that tend to be most popular tend to lack any real substance. I think for for the most part. So
1: yeah, it's like it seemed like in that era too, like jazz, and then it seems like you don't hear much post uh, that era, sort of bebop and po- poetry. Yeah. I mean, I guess Bukowski a, a, a bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's really the. In terms of like you know switching over into the the, the popular culture, he's he's one of the few um, w- one of the few most recent examples uh, that I can think of. You know, there's a he's a bit more of an establishment um, poet example, but Billy Collins um, is another one who like who really kind of gained a little bit of a foothold in the popular culture, but never is certainly not an everyday household name. Um, but even Bukowski, you know, it's one of those things. That th- these underground figures, they don't they don't become really household names until far too late, you know? It's like, we look back at them now, and we're like, oh, Bukowski was so popular. He's another one who just, like, lived this shitty existence for so long, you know, before he uh, before he sort of became lionized and glamorized. Is that somewhat of the, the... the like part of the dream of like oh when i'm dead i'm gonna be huge <laughs> yeah <laughs> i always tell you know some of my best friends are poets too and i i, I always just remind them that you know the, the the glory of this is that is in the hopes that your pages will live on long after you you're gonna live a, a, a suffering existence uh, well that's the way of the arts you know it's not just poetry it's artists in general
1: well you can tell i'm doing very well this is <laughs> my apartment
2: well <laughs> but what what attracted you cuz it's i'm always interested cuz
1: i was uh, i guess interested drawn to certain things as very very young what what
2: uh, what what drew you to poetry like what made that um i well i think it started with shakespeare actually my my uh, you know i got involved with theater when i was younger and when i first got introduced to shakespeare i really uh, the power of speech uh, the shakespeare was what first introduced me to the power of speech the power of rhythm and how the manipulations of sounds um, do something to you physically um, and that you can tell stories in, in that way but tell stories in a musical manner. Um, uh, th- that was the biggest thing. So it began with Shakespeare and learning how to to read Shakespeare out loud um, and feeling the power of, of the physicality of those words uh, made me want to recreate that, that sensation. And when it takes hold of you, it's just... Uh, a disease kind of you know you 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 can't get away from it but um you know there there is there is a science to it it's an art but there is a kind of science to it there are sounds that evoke certain emotions within us and and repetitions of certain types of sounds and the way that that lines and syllables the way that words are created and the juxtaposition of them create different speeds of diction and how that affects a person listening it's a it, it there's a kind of voodoo in it and and it's kind it can be quite magical
1: that's
2: pretty it goddamn impressive <laughs>
1: i mean i've never heard it articulated but then again i didn't really study poetry but i mean i i became obsessed with comedy and writing as a kid though i did try to write poetry and if you don't mind i want to no <laughs> <laughs> That's it, because it, do, do you get that a lot, too, where people are like, oh, yeah, because that's always like one oh, of the absolutely. biggest insults in it, where people are like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And yeah. like, no, you can't. I dabble in this.
2: You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone sort of thinks they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, the, the flip side to that is sometimes you are, you are shocked by, by how good it can be. But, yeah, the majority of the time it's, it's not uh, – uh, because people think that because they've written – and that they do it even semi-regularly, that that makes them good. And that's not, you don't become, you don't become good at comedy, for instance, by just sitting at home telling jokes. Like, <laughs> you learn from, mostly from watching, right? It's studying, essentially, is what you're doing. You watch other comics and you learn what works and then you go from there. You don't just sit, sit at home and like tell jokes to the mirror and say, oh, I'm a comedian too. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, and the same thing is true of of. Poetry. The biggest thing, especially for young poets, the biggest thing that they don't, uh, the biggest detriment to them is that they don't read enough. People don't read enough poetry. You have to read poetry, and then not only do you read it, but when you find things that you like, you've got to be able to break down why they work. You know, what is the structure of this poem that makes it effective? It's not an accident. Effective art is is rarely accidental.
1: I I think a lot of people think like because of like. Oh, free association and stream of consciousness. And it's like, it's like they don't realize that that A takes years to get to that. And there's also a lot more to it than just like, I'm going to shit out my
2: brains. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think the free association thing got overwrought and was never really fully understood anyway. And I think people like Ginsburg, I don't, I think he probably on the sly was doing a lot of editing that he would never <laughs> admit, you know? Yeah, I think um, people like to think that when On the Road was written, it's like he put in that big
1: long thing of paper yeah, and, and
2: just started typing away. Yeah, I don't think it was just that version. Right. <laughs> and I also love there's this great, um, there's this great little anecdote about Picasso um, in a cafe. He's like, Sitting in a cafe, having drinking something, this guy sidles up to him. He's like, oh, you're Picasso. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, can you, can you draw me something? And he's like, all right. So he gets a napkin, doodles to sing on a napkin, does it really quick, like five seconds. And the guy's like, oh, thanks. And Picasso goes, that'll be $50,000. <laughs> and the guy's like, what do you mean? That took you five seconds. And Picasso goes, yeah, but it took me 50 years to learn how to do it in five seconds. Yeah. That's- and And that's kind of the point, you know. Do people ever
1: ask you to spontaneously do poems?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like people, uh, it's funny because of because of the sort of hip hop influence in the in the slam community. Some of the things that I do do certainly have some hip hop influence, and certain people think that that automatically means that I can freestyle, which I cannot do. Just you know, like I slave over these lines. I can't just pop them up off the top of my head. When you first, how old were you when it, like when you got involved in theater and
1: Shakespeare? How old were you?
2: Um, I got involved in theater when I was uh, about sixteen. Um, I, you know, I, I grew up in group homes and foster homes. So I was in a, I was living in a group home, and I needed an elective. Uh, and one of the other kids in the group home was like, oh, come into theater. We don't do anything. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> sounds great. It was, and he was like, yeah, yesterday I was high on acid during class. I was like, that's what I want to go do. <laughs> um, and then I fell in love with it. The first day, we did this exercise where we had to, like, reenact being cold. And I was like, this is fun. And that was it. And, then, you know, then we got introduced to Shakespeare and, uh, and, uh, and then it's you been all downhill of- from there. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's... Uh- Once you get in and it's, I personally haven't, I have no fucking B plan. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm now 44. I'm like, Ooh, I should have had a B plan. (laughs) Bartending is my B plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's, uh,
2: not what I want to be doing when I'm 60. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although to be honest, I mean, I, I also bartend as well. And, uh, you know, there, there are worse, there are worse routes, you know, um, it's a it's a it's a decent gig at times
1: yeah my my dad worked construction and stuff, and I would see him come home, and I was like, I do not want to come home that fucked up, yeah. like just couldn't stand up straight, and I was like, No, yeah. yeah, and so I went to the place where you pick up imaginary things right. <laughs> <laughs> on stage, but and you said you were grew up in group homes, yeah, and that's also one of the charity which you're running this marathon, yeah. And what is that charity? Uh,
2: it's called the Guardian Scholars Program, and what it is is it's a they offer full academic scholarships to former foster youth, kids who grew up in in the system. Basically, um, it's it's one of those um, sort of invisible plights in in America that a lot of people don't realize. Um, the majority of our prison and homeless populations are made up largely of kids who uh, throughout the country and this is not just a local los angeles thing are made up of kids who grew up in foster care um you there's some kind of connection uh with not having a typical family structure and uh finding yourself incarcerated and or homeless <laughs> afterwards um and uh not like for me i i was like, if it weren't for this scholarship when I got it, I mean, I was the absolute cliche, perfect example of all the statistics that that beset foster kids across this country. Sixty percent of them, within two years after being what's called emancipated or aged out of the system, end up homeless or in jail within two years. And uh, and the reason why is because you're, you grow up in these really highly structured systems and then you turn 18 and they go, okay, bye. You're now on your own. Go be an adult. You have to take responsibility for yourself. And you're kind of like, I nobody. I don't have any tools. There's no transition. No. no like- yeah. I mean, it, there wasn't when I was growing up. It's a little bit better now because people are starting to realize. So they have like transitional housing now, and they help them with job placement and stuff like that. When I was growing up, it was like, we don't know what the fuck to do with you. And sorry if you don't know what to do, but you know, state pays us till you're 18. You are now an adult. You got to figure it out. Um, and so that's exactly what happened to me. i was I was living in a foster home. I turned eighteen and I did really well in school and I was like, oh great like i'm gonna I'm gonna and I had a really horrible upbringing full of like, abuse and addiction and all kinds of madness and I lived in group homes where I lived in a group home where we had a, a an off-site psychiatrist come in and he was in a wheelchair and he was with, he had an assistant. Who it later, We later found out the they were abusing, like sexually molesting, like dozens of kids at group homes all over in L- LA and Orange County. And the assistant was later convicted of multiple murders of children. Oh, Jesus I mean, Christ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just so that there was just there was a lot less oversight back, back then. Um, but yeah, so I finally get to this foster home that is actually a good place, good people. But the moment I graduated high school, they were like, sorry, we're not getting paid to take care of you anymore. You have a week to move out. And it was like, oh, all right. So I went and I got a job and and that was it. Two years later, I, I was in jail, you know, um, and I was lucky enough to, I, I was lucky for a couple of reasons. One, I had a therapist at a former group home who took an interest in me and stayed, followed me after I, I left and just checked in on me and, and wanted to make sure I was doing Okay. And when I got out of jail, he said, look, I just got this information across my desk about this new scholarship going on at Cal State Fullerton. Um, I think you should look into it. And that was the Guardian Scholars Program. It was in its second year at that time. I was like the eighth student to ever even get it. And it's now expanded to over 70 universities across the country, serving thousands of students. So um, it was created by this guy named Ron Davis. And he just, the model that he created is very easy to to replicate and it's been incredibly successful and uh so it's it's something that I'm proud to be a part of supporting.
1: Yeah, that sounds like an amazing I mean it sounds like because it's it's because I'm thinking of like my own fucked up childhood and stuff and which is nowhere compared to being like 18 and being like all right, on your own. I mean, I can't imagine how terrifying as well as like that can't be great for one's self-belief yeah. and esteem. I mean, it's got to be
2: like Fuck yeah, yeah. You know, and the biggest problem with it is that you're just when you grow up in group homes, there's it's such a harrowing experience. Anyway, you know, you're all you're with all these other kids who are all fucked up too. You're constantly on your toes, like you're looking to fight left and right. Or maybe that was just me. But, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you. What I noticed as I look back on my life is what what it did was it. I never was granted the opportunity to try to form plans for anything so you are never looking to the future you're just trying to survive in the moment and all of a sudden you get thrown out on the street when you're 18 the same thing happens and so inevitably like that that will lead you to make bad decisions i think uh, and uh, that's why i think it's not a you're going to be associating with the people that you've become comfortable with and um they're they're always going to be People who like you are not very well educated, um, and really don't have much of a future, crime is gonna be one of the things that you're just drawn towards because it's like an it's there, that's what you learn, you know? Um so yeah, that's the biggest thing is like yeah, it's not good for your self esteem. It's not good and you're you don't get taught for lack of a better phrase, how to be a man, basically. Um and that's probably one of the most detrimental things about it.
1: And that probably takes a long time to figure out on your own. I mean, there's gotta be a, a bit of stunting.
2: Yeah. For yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, even when I went to college, when I was lucky enough to get this scholarship, I still was like, I did not take full advantage of it at all. I mean, I, all, I really, I look back at it now. I'm like, fuck, I wasted this amazing opportunity and I didn't waste it, but I didn't fully appreciate and did not fully utilize what was being given to me. Cause I didn't realize the the, the enormity of, of what it was. And, um, I still I was like getting in, fight, you know. I was acting like I was still in the hood as a kid, you know, like at this college at Cal State Fullerton. I was getting in fights all the time. I was doing drugs. I was drunk like sixteen hours a day. It was sounds like college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I guess not a lot of fights. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're a frat boy, there's a lot of fights. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I I wasn't even a frat boy. I but I just like, you know, it's I just the the way that I grew up It was just you know if. Anything goes wrong, well, just start swinging, and we we'll figure shit out later, you know. <laughs> uh, um, and you just, and then you 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 get to this, uh, you get to this campus, and people are like, "You can't do that." And You're
0: like, "Fucking
2: you mean, I can't do that." What, like, what, is it, what am I supposed to do? And they're like, "Why you gotta talk about shit?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, all right." Did you almost get tossed out of the school? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my freshman year was was really rough. I came I came a, close to getting tossed out a couple times, uh, but I managed to settle down a little bit. And uh... it must have also been a little bit of like culture shock wouldn't you like. It's definite culture shock. Yeah, definite culture. Because you what like you were kind of like homeless for a while, and was that pre college or pre college and then post college as well? Yeah. So like, I mean, again, that was one of those things where like, um just the 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 training wasn't there for how to be a responsible adult for me so even like as i even as i'm getting this college education like oh great and like i i ended up majoring in theater and i immediately when i graduated i got this great job working for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival uh, up in Ashland Oregon which is one of the premier um regional theaters in the country and i still like i i got up there and it was I just—I had, had so much anger. I was such an angry young man that every little slight, every perceived slight, I just responded to in the most immature and unprofessional way. So I lasted two years there. I came back down here and just—and it started up there. I got started doing drugs again. I came down here and just like went off a cliff. I mean, and ended up—I somehow ended up across the country in Atlantic City. Uh, sleeping in an elevator uh, this little room above an elevator shaft like in the middle of winter um and i just i woke up there one day and i kind of looked around and i went what the fuck happened <laughs> you know like how did i get here uh and then so and started the very slow process of like getting back on my feet getting back over here and and getting my shit together and and luckily i had people who were close enough to me that were like saw through all of the fucked upness, and we're like, all right, like we're, we're gonna help you out, and and then I'm, you know, now here I am, a relatively upstanding young citizen of the United States. <laughs> do you do you feel like
1: because you don't seem like an angry guy, but I a lot of people. But I have that. There's always that, like,
2: fuck, yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you got a better grasp of it? Or? I definitely have a better grasp of it, but it's there. You know, I mean, and it's just something, it's 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 one of those things where you don't, there's no magic pill for it. You know, there's not, you don't just, like, suddenly wipe away the, I mean, and that's one of the biggest things for me about why I love this program is that it, it's It's very easy to just throw money at at what is a perceived problem and be like, now it's fixed. And the people who run the Guardian Scholars realize that that's not the case. And one of the things that they include is there's mentoring, there's tutoring, there's counseling involved. All, All of the most important aspects of this program are the people that are in it. They realize that they're dealing with fragile psyches and damaged psyches. And the big thing that I always say is like, it's great that we get to send these kids to college, but that's not that's not like a sudden magic eraser that all of a sudden wipes out all of the scars of their childhood. They're going to you're going to live with those for the rest of your life. Thankfully, what going to college does is it gives you an opportunity to learn how to deal with those and then face the rest of your life a little bit more on your own terms. And and that's the biggest thing. And and uh having knowing that you have that support when you inevitably slip up um is is the biggest thing. I I, I know. That I'm going to for probably the rest of my life be dealing with the the issues that resulted from the traumas of my childhood you know but um but when you accept it uh and you stop being afraid of it uh and stop trying to hide it you learn to control the the anger issues a a little bit more
1: yeah I would imagine the the beginning of the those issues I mean first of all you're in a home and the various reasons that kids end up in homes is gotta be incredibly unsettling yeah. we had a foster uh home in my neighborhood as a kid and i just i, the, I remember in third grade there was this kid i think his name was choco <laughs> but he had tattoos yeah and he would do the thing the game where you would put the arms and like burn cigarettes yeah. and like and for some reason, it didn't re- register in the third grade. I was just like, oh, this guy's a badass. But like later as an adult, I was like, what the fuck was going on yeah, yeah. that this kid was allowed to repeatedly, like he was, I'm sure, he, and I'm sure he's
2: in jail, if not dead. Yeah. Ch- it, Chances are probably, you know, not good for him. Knock on wood, maybe he got out. But are the, is there,
1: within these programs, is there, are they reaching out at younger age? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um you know the, the the Guardian Scholars Program. They, they do a little bit because they they they're now working in conjunction with a, a temporary children's home called Orangewood Children's Foundation, mm-hmm. which takes kids in. It's like a temporary placement facility, and they take them in from the ages of like, infants all the way up to the age eighteen. So um, sometimes now they're they're able to get in there and let kids know that hey, if you're you know a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, look, you have this opportunity. You know if if you don't have a family, even if you don't get a good foster placement, or even if you do, there's this opportunity, there's something there for you to strive for afterwards, so that's available now, yeah, but um, but they're not able to offer, you know, like, say, counseling or things like that to kids who are not, you know, in the program.
1: Right, and you also, you, you worked with uh, prisoners as well, teaching them poetry. Yeah. Yeah. How did you how did you get
2: involved? Cuz that that's something that also personally interests me, in a lot. Yeah, uh it started when when I was in college. Um I, you know, and I don't even remember how uh how the subject first got brought up, but somehow somebody came to me about um starting about uh volunteering at um at continuation schools and um for and you know, which was full of mostly kids on parole from juvenile hall and um And I spent, you know, I went to, because I was bounced around so much at these group homes and stuff, I I went to like 12 different high schools, and most of them were continuation schools and things like that. So um, it was something I definitely wanted to do because I knew how shitty those continuation schools are. Like, they're just so... What,
1: What is exactly a continuation school?
2: Continuation school is basically, it's not a public high school, basically. It is, it's this um it's a more highly structured school where they've got you know like guards and it's run by, they're usually run by probation departments in the various counties so um and it's usually staffed with kids who either re, it's mostly probationary kids kids who have uh, been in and out of juvenile hall or are currently out of juvenile hall are on probation uh but need to maybe have a bit more of a structure uh, a structured educational setting and or just need to be watched more um and so there's a lot of gang members, teenage gang members in, in these schools. And it's also filled with uh, just kids. who like, you know, there's a lot of just the stoner kids who just could not hack it basically at a regular high school. So it's the place for the cast offs, basically, um, to try to in some way salvage their, their education. It's just poorly run. You know, the, the teachers are even paid even less than, than regular teachers. Um, and so... I thought like I w the I, I wanted to go in there and basically talk to kids the way that I wished somebody had talked to me. Um and which was just to be completely real with them. And so that's what I, I when I do it, that's exactly what I do. And um and and when I when I teach them poetry I I, I, I what I teach them is just the power of, of the words and what when they're listening to poetry and I interweave hip hop with it too, because I think um Good hip hop is is incredible poetry, um, and that uh, I try to show them the reasons behind, like how to break down a, a line, what they're looking for, what assonance and alliteration are, um, the use of images, how the juxtaposition of of two phrases creates a new meaning, things like that. That sounds really technical, but when you deal with the specifics of it, um, it is actually really, really easily accessible, and you, like you see these kids' faces light up, you know. Um, and then I talk to them about the the realities of their lives and and how they're living, and especially being on probation, being in and out of the system. And a, a lot of them are are Latino kids. And um and I the biggest thing that I always tell them is, you know, I look at them, I say, I, w- I want you guys to know right now that you feel probably like almost nobody gives a fuck about you, and you need to leave here knowing that. Teachers in like the you know in continuation schools they'll be like no that's not true like people care no I want them to know no that is true approach your life as though nobody gives a fuck about you because that's pretty much the case and the only person who's going to change the current course of your life is you if you approach your life that way and see it as a positive rather than a negative then you can change your life and when people get handed this bullshit about you know that this eight dollar an hour paid temporary employee is going to be there for them when they walk out those doors. What ends up happening is when they get disappointed, the anger comes back and then they revert back to those negative behaviors. Now, I want to change that around. I want to say, you're right. Nobody gives a fuck about you. So when you go out there and you become absolutely nothing, nobody's going to give a shit. No, And you're not going to have anybody to blame. And even if you did, so what? You're not going to be able to get anything out of it. You got to walk out these doors, take responsibility for your life. And um. And I talk pretty much just, just like that. You know? <laughs> I, I always tell people when, I, when they ask me to do these things, I tell them, like, my, I, I, I have a rule. My rule is you don't fucking censor me. I'm going to talk to them how they talk on the streets because that's the only way you can. When I was in those classes, that's how I wanted somebody to talk to me. I wanted somebody to sit me down and say, look, fuckhead, like, you're smart. You have an opportunity to do something different, but you're acting like a fucking idiot, you know, and nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit about your childhood. Nobody cares that you got your ass fucking kicked up and down when, from the time that you were an infant until you were 18. It's sad, yeah, but nobody's going to hand you a fucking medal or hand you a job just because you had a rough life. And it's shitty to say that, but that's the truth of the matter. And when you when you are faced with that and you deal with it, you can get on with the rest of your life a little bit better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you kept in touch with anybody? Do you ever like see any of these kids that you've...
2: No, I, 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 that, that's one of the biggest things for me. It's very, very difficult. Um, I can't do it cause I, I like it, it's fucking heartbreaking. I would you know? imagine. Um, and, and, and I even have to temper the, the, the frequency with which I do these talks because you go in there and you watch these kids fucking bloom right in front of you. You know, they, especially when you go, when I do them in the actual jails and juvenile hall, they're. You, they all got their guards up, every single one you know, because they're, they're, you have to, you know, it's like, it's life and death. A lot of these kids are in there, they're teenagers, and yet they're in there, they're murderers, or they're in there with murderers. And, and, um, you have to constantly be on your guard. You can't show any vulnerability, you know, because that's how you get your shit kicked. Um, and, but you give them the opportunity and, and a forum to express themselves a, a little bit and, some of them you, you, you can't reach, you know, they're just, they're too locked up. But the ones that do, I, it's just, it's it's mind-blowingly beautiful. And even though you know that as soon as they leave that classroom, they're going to go back and it's back to the, you know, putting on the front and, and having to be tough, you gave them this little moment of, of freedom that sometimes, you know, you, I think sticks with them.
1: Yeah, you can't underestimate. I mean, you know, th- that seed is planted and... Yeah. I think people have a n- natural desire to want to be creative. It's just like everything else is, we're told our whole lives, like, nah, not you. Or yeah. It's like, yeah. that's impossible. At least that was the world I was in. Mm-hmm. And it's very, but there, that is sort of what kept me, I think, from being, I could, things could have been a lot fucking worse for me. Yeah. And it's like, because yeah. I had something to get help exercise it, the, yeah. the
2: demons a bit. It, exactly. It is, it, it is, it is an exercise, an exorcism. You know, there's, there's a, there's a reason that writing is so often referred to as a release, you know. Um, it, it's interesting. There, there, there are studies that, are, that have been done that show, like, people who um, lack the ability to clearly elucidate their feelings are more prone to acts of physical violence. Um, the two things are different aspects of the same therapy, Fighting is a kind of of therapy. Like you're you're releasing all this pent up frustration. It's the same thing with artistic expression. they there are two different um, channels of of release.
1: My friend Shane says that. To a degree, uh, that the kids at like Columbine and stuff, he's like they were artists, and he's like he's like they were expressing themselves the only way they you know he's which I, I think a lot of people are like artists, and it's like but they couldn't like it was just an expression of right. their frustration. Not saying it's <laughs> a, something that should be taught in our colleges, right? No, but it's no, like,
2: and it's a, it, it's very easy I think for people to to recoil at that, like because that's just your natural like they weren't artists, they were murderers. But like stop. Take all of your preconceived notions away and just th- like, it, try to look at it from an objective point of view. And I think that's a very apt description of, uh, of what they were. And that's not, you know, that doesn't mean it's positive. Yeah, it's extremely negative. But if you look at it in a larger social context, look at somebody like General Patton, who is glorified for what he did. He w- what, what was he? he was a genius at killing the other guy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's an artistic expression, but because it was done within this accepted social format, he's not considered a murderer. He and the guys at Columbine, two sides of the same coin. That's a very interesting
1: uh, point. Um, and you, you, a lot of your poetry and stuff is very personal right and or social yeah
2: yeah i mean it's both because i i I believe in the in the the relationship between the two that the that the you know to use a cliche the personal is political um and uh yeah so i mean i i I touch on i touch on all all aspects of it it always starts personally with me um and and then some I'll, i'll let it branch out from there but um the the ways in which the 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 political goings-on of the world affects uh, the individual. is a is a big part of what I do. Um, but then, always within that is also just the 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 dichotomy inherent in everything. That's probably the one word that I would use to describe most of what I write. Is in everything, there's there's the presence of, of the just the dichotomy of being alive. Yeah,
1: it's it's strange. It seems like things that are overly political these days. Pe- people tend to stray away from. It's like, you don't hear a lot of political music. You don't see, if the, a film is political, it's kind of in a, either supportive of the wrong things. Right. Like, I haven't seen, read, what's the fucking movie about Bin Laden? Oh, Zero uh, Dark Zero Thirty. Dark but 30. everything I hear about it is very pro-war
2: and torture. I don't know, I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, I mean, see, and and that's that's part of the problem, is that uh, I, I think that a lot of the people who are saying that It's indicative of how a country thinks that that particular movie because I think that movie is brilliant and it's not pro-war. It's not pro-torture, but it's not anti-war or anti-torture. That's the thing. It's a complex movie. It's an ambiguous movie. All it's doing is showing you what happened. And then asking you to make the judgment. It's not saying like torture. And, you know, there was the whole backlash from the senators saying it condones the use of torture. And it suggests that torture led to the capture of bin Laden. It does not do that at all. I mean, in the torture scenes, that you, you, they actually get false information because of the torture scenes. What it does is it presents you a picture. It says this is what is going on in the world. And you. some people say, well, it's condoning it because you're rooting for this girl and she's a murderer. She is. She she uses torture and she murders somebody. But all it's showing you the human toll that it that that is exacted by this. And and yes you're rooting for her naturally, but if you're really paying attention, you don't think she's a hero necessarily, you know? You you walk out of there fucking hurting for this girl because you know she put she, she gave up something of her soul to do this. And the reward, if that's what you can call it, is that a, a man who committed atrocities was finally found and, 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 and was killed. But you see the things that she had to do, what she had to subject herself to as a human being in order to reach that, the, the, the toll it was enormous. Um, I, I love that movie because it doesn't tell you you should think this or you should think that. It, it tells you this is a complex issue, what's going on here. And we have a tendency to want to break everything up into good and evil. And yeah. and the director, Catherine Bigelow, was was smart enough to show that the two intertwine very, very seamlessly sometimes. And sometimes it can be difficult to distinguish.
1: That's a very interesting ar- argument about, or point, I guess. and Because you don't hear a lot of that point of view about that film, and it is very black and white. And I feel like that is a big overall issue with how, everything is perceived these days. It's like, mm-hmm. ah, it's bad, it's good. And it's like, there is no, it's not that black and white. No. We live in a very complex yeah. time. Yeah. It's, and,
2: it, you know, it's a, it, it is a, it, the world that we're living in right now, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you can sit here, it's very easy to say, like, there is, there is never an acceptable time for terrorism. And it's, yes, of course not. It's never okay to blow up innocent people. But most Americans don't understand what we are putting those people through. The things that our government is doing to these people in foreign lands, how their families are being blown up left and right, and how they hold us responsible for it. Sometimes rightly so, sometimes unjustly. Um, The only thing that I think is absolutely black and white is that as a human race, we will never be able to fully... reach our potential, I think, until we find a way to completely eradicate the chains of the monotheistic religions. I mean, these things are... Anybody who takes any moment to look at history objectively can see that they are 100% false. I mean, it's it's not even like... It, it's not this isn't like, oh, I'm an atheist, so these are my beliefs. It's science. If we use science, you will we, we can i think eventually get rid of the ridiculousness of these superstitions that have been with us for thousands of years and that hold us back as human beings and and are the cause of and if not the cause, the motor that keeps running the various injustices and atrocities that we commit against one another.
1: It's amazing, even the Dalai Lama at one point it said like recently like we need to start seeking other options besides because religion is not the solution. Yeah. And I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, that's a religious, uh, sort of a religious. F- I mean, I don't consider Buddhism really a religion, it's a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they like, don't believe like in God a, It's like a guidebook <laughs> Kind of But I mean, that, that was to me It was like, yeah And people would be like Oh, he's, I saw one person be like He's misguided I was like, misguided? <laughs> That's
2: about yeah. as dead on as it
1: gets Yeah Because it is one of the Like our country is Very steeped in like
2: Yeah that. And, and the thing that people don't realize <laughs> Is that a lot of it A lot of the people think This is a Christian nation We're founded on Christian principles Total bullshit the Founding Fathers, they were not Christians, yeah. I mean, and they stated repeatedly that they were not Christians, that the United States was not founded on Christian ideals. We are not a Christian country. Um, you know, I mean, Th- Thomas Jefferson was, for all intents and purposes, he was an Epicurean. Uh, you know, I think they, they were deists, but for the for the most part, they all, all of the... The, the King James Bible stuff, this stuff came in the 20th century. We got infiltrated, in, inundated with it, Part, I think for two reasons. One, as largely as a response to communism, the, the rise of communism and the quote-unquote godlessness of it. Um, and then the other thing is that, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't talk about, you, you open your borders to people from all over the world. What we got is we got a lot of poor people from all over the world. Poor people tend to have more... Um, more conservative religious beliefs, whatever that religion is. They tend to hold on to, for whatever reason, um, religious beliefs. in, uh, And I think a lot of it is probably there's not as much education. So you get this influx of people who bring... They don't all of a sudden shuck off their, their religious beliefs when they get here. They come here and they inundate your... They inundate the country with those beliefs. And then they have kids, and then the, they raise those kids to be the same thing. And next thing you know, a country that was founded to get away from the oppression of religious beliefs is now espousing the, those religious beliefs and believes that it was founded on those beliefs.
1: Yeah, Thomas Jefferson didn't even want this country to be big. <laughs> yeah. He didn't really want us to
2: expand, <laughs>
1: right? Which uh, I guess manifest destiny kind of was a contradiction of that. Mm-hmm. But and you know that expansion became, um, I think. Began us becoming
2: imperialists, yeah, which absolutely. people don't like to hear. <laughs> yeah. Like... And, uh, yeah, people don't like to hear. They don't like to hear the word imperialism because, what? Because we're not "quote unquote" occupying other countries. But the fact of the matter is, we have troop bases in dozens upon dozens of countries all over the world, and it's like, just imagine if you walk down the road here, and there was a Chinese naval base, you know. A few blocks away from the Americana brand or whatever, you know, like, what would that do to you? Foreign people like with guns, just chilling on your on in in your home. We don't know what that's like because we've never had to deal with that ever since we finally got the British out. But there's, I think it it does something to you. It would create an anger, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it, we're constantly just going fuck you. Yeah, like we're here. Fuck you. Yeah,
2: we're we're here and we're here for you. And whether you like it or whether not. Whether you like it or not. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's that's an interesting point because it's like there aren't no other countries do have that no. many like military bases. Like, and it's I don't people never think about that. They're like, oh yeah, we got like I think we think it's cool or yeah
2: the proverbial we yeah and but, it's it's like the, this is why people th- no no other country do- does this anymore. <laughs> like ever since the the fall of the British Empire, like they don't. They have it a little bit, but nobody has it to the extent that we do. We are all over the world. And the, f- the interesting thing is that you now, it, it's actually infiltrated their public message. Have you seen the commercials for the Navy now? The the comer- uh, the, the, the slogan for the U.S. Navy is a global force for good. Whew. I mean, they're just coming right out and telling you, we're fucking everywhere. A Global. And it's like, it's because like, they're like, when they're like, oh, well,
1: we're spreading democracy. It's like, who says they want it? I mean it's like yeah it's a I guess it's
2: great to let the people choose but it's like maybe you, you should I mean, ask but, them but that's the thing you don't you don't spread democracy you spread disease what you can spread <laughs> is the only thing you can spread is education and you can give people the belief that they should aspire somebody who is not free the belief that they should aspire to it that they deserve it and that they can they can claim it it's not a coincidence that after that the idiot that we had in office before Obama that there were no after he leaves. Obama comes into office, and now all of a sudden there are populist uprisings all all over the Middle East. It, it, that's not coincidental, you know. I think that the fact that these things happened on their own, I think it's twofold. One, I think, I don't think you can give enough credit to he went over there, Obama, shortly after taking office, and and gave a couple of speeches at some uh, in in the Middle East, and and I think. People saw him and thought, that guy looks like me. That guy has a name that sounds like me. He's a free man, and he's the head of the most popular, the most powerful country on and earth. Impopular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the most powerful country on earth, and I'm living under a tyrant. I can do better. We all can do better. I, th- I, I think there's, there's not enough... The, the, the goodwill... That you get just from us having put him in that position, the global goodwill—I I don't think gets enough credit. Although <laughs> now, with, you know, with the, his policies in office have been almost—you know—his global policies have been almost, almost as draconian as, uh, and if not more so than, um, than the Bush administration. But, yeah, I was going
1: to, because it's like he—that was a good, and then he kind of fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's—it's it's very alarming. And it's what's more alarming is I think people don't like I just friends I know who don't see any bad in him it's like you should see bad in every fucking politician yeah. they're a politician like there's you don't get to that level without
2: filth <laughs> yeah it's it you know liberals are going to hate to hear this but there there there's a definite kind of reverse racism in 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 the idealizing of Barack Obama um it's just he broke this huge barrier. We helped him do it. He, therefore, can do no wrong. And it's like, just because Homeboy's black doesn't mean that he's not a fucking liar. You know? I mean, he's and, and it's true. He's a politician. You do not get to become president of the United States without being a little bit of a fucking prick.
1: Yeah. I I, I think... Gore Vidal recently, well, not recently because he's dead, but I saw him recently say, (laughs) like, he was, he's like, with Obama, he's like, don't underestimate white guilt. Like, it's, and it is, and I think it's amazing. They get more filth passed through because of him, I think, because people aren't noticing. Like, if a a lot of the the NDAA Act and the drone attacks, if all this shit was being done under Romney, I think people would be protesting. Absolutely. And I'm not like Johnny conspiracy theory, but, He can't help but wonder, like, how intentional is that? Because it's like, and I think people put so much of their own, like, projected into him of what they wanted, that, so that's like this weird psychological thing where they're like that's me like that's yeah. why i needed this <laughs> yeah yeah
2: it's like you can't ad- admit he's terrible and and that's uh, to me that's why his presidency is so disappointing because even though i and I'll, I'll be completely honest i didn't vote for him i either time um for this very reason I, I sat down with people and i and i i told my friends i was like look it's a great story and i love it and i i kind of do hope that he gets um that he gets elected because of you know based on the uh on, on what the other options were uh but I always said I'm I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna drink that juice I'm not gonna drink that Kool Aid like he's to me he's still a politician and and he's and he's a politician of one of the major parties like you will see like I pretty much called all of the things that that are happening like not all of them but I certainly didn't see him being this extreme with with drone attacks but um but just that, that you're gonna just see a continuation of of the status quo because he's a politician um and and so. I, but that being said, I did still think that he would pr- prove to be much more progressive um, than he has proven to be, and I I don't understand it. I, I I'm confused about his um, his administration thus far. I'm I'm really I don't understand the thing with the drone attacks. I don't understand some of his administration's draconian responses to to pot legalization throughout the country they they the do who smokes a lot of it yeah, <laughs> or they, did they just they don't seem to jibe with some of his other more progressive liberal things so i i i'm there's part of
1: me that hopes that it's a wake-up call because i think eventually people are gonna realize how shitty this presidency has been and i th- i hope they'll be like It'll begin a distrust for the government again because I feel like people aren't as distrusting as they. I mean, post Watergate, people were like really in the '60s. People were yeah. really aware and were like, the and It's like somehow we keep forgetting that these things happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't know that. Uh... I don't know that, that that it's going to cause a, a, a distrust of, of the government. I mean, there is there there is still a lot of distrust of the government out yes. there. Unfortunately, a lot of it is misguided and it's uh, conspiratorial in a way that is just kind of absurd. And some of it is unfortunately there's a lot of racist mistrust of the government. You know, there's there's a lot of extreme right wing mistrust of the government right now that is that is uh, founded upon bigotry and uh, and rests upon uh, ideas that are just plainly absurd when there is, if you just look at the actual actions that are going on, there's plenty to dislike about it without having to come up with crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, we We have people in Congress right now who literally are, we're having debates about whether or not the Obama administration is secretly attempting to herd everybody into urban centers so that they can then be sent off to FEMA camps. Like... It, people in Congress were debating this about whether or not this is actually ha- that There's this huge conspiracy under the Obama administration to force everybody into FEMA labor camps, and it's just like
1: the- it is weird though that when pe- when he was running the first time, people were like, "Oh, he's going to have those uh, death death lists." Or yeah, like. yeah. But then it's like <laughs> the drone attacks. It's like yeah, oh, maybe. Like yeah. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I was like, "It's." I was like, "That's kind of weird how that, in a weird way, came to fruition a little bit." Right. I mean, I'm not saying that. That was true, buddy. right? <laughs> uh, dark times is what I gotta say about everything. Yeah,
2: and and yet this, and yet the, all that being said, this is the thing that I that I'm constantly telling people. All that being said, I, we're at an interesting time right now, and 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 it we we have the potential to, I think, go in a really incredible way, or the potential to go down a really dark path. But all that being said, things are getting better. I, I really, I do, truly believe that. You you look at where we are as as a people, you see more young people sloughing off the constraints of religion. You see more people embracing humanist ideals. Um and, and I think that that can only continue to grow, uh, knock on knock on wood.
1: Yeah. I it's Chris Hedges makes an interesting point at the end of one of his books, and it's like it is this it's like this total critique of our society when he's like, but Remember, the speeches of the tyrants are never remembered and quoted. It's always the hopeful and the people who made the changes, and yeah. which was, like, inspiring. Then he also says, you know, he talks about the empire coming to an end. He's like, the only difference between our empire and Rome is Rome wasn't depleted of its natural resources. <laughs> That's the only thing that really terrifies me. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, with fracking and if that keystone pipeline goes through, like, I'm really alarmed by that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm. I, there's the, the there's a the, there's a lot to be alarmed by right now. Um, you know, I mean the 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 depletion of our water is is a big thing. You know, I mean in in fifty sixty years, it's very very possible that uh, that that water will be the new oil. You know,
1: I, I always think about that. Like even like at at the bar or at restaurants when people get water and then you just see them just tossing it out and I'm like that's kind of alarming and only. We're probably one of the few countries in the world who are like, hey, just fucking throw that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like thousands of miles away. There's a guy carrying a five gallon jug on his head, twenty yeah, miles. Exactly. And we like, we
2: definitely take it for granted. And I find myself. I have to thank uh, the actor Don Cheadle for this. Actually, he comes into my restaurant and he he says, you know, his experience working on the movie Hotel Rwanda changed him. When he comes in and he eats, he's like, we, you know, we, we're we're a fine dining restaurant. So we, you know, we you switch out silverware and you do all this stuff in between courses. And he's like, don't do that. I don't need you to wash my silverware in between. I don't need you to waste water on my silverware. I don't need you to get me a new glass to, re, you know, for another drink. And he's very adamant about it. And, and I appreciate that of, of him because when he comes in with his friends, it's rubbed off on some of his friends who come in now as well and come in, with, you know, even without him. And um and it's reminded me so you know i mean it's very easy for us to to take it the the access that we have to water for granted and and it's good to be reminded of it that this is a precious thing this is the source of our existence you know <laughs> um and and it is it is not in unlimited supply
1: yeah i've even taken up just i've i've like you like we talked about other things becoming a disease or whatever but it's like i've started washing my ziploc baggies because i'm like me me too because I I saw some guy do it in a documentary and I was like yeah that why would like it's just this I think western American thought where we're like bitch fucking we'll get a new one and I started putting my used vegetable rinds in the compost because I'm like why are you just throwing this away like it's
2: not I know it's a little thing but it's going to help the overall every every single little thing that that you every little thing that you do helps and you have to believe that and i think that's the biggest thing that keeps people from from taking small actions like that so you're gonna be like well what, what difference does it make you have to believe that it makes a difference you have to. I mean, I try I very, very rarely drive. I try not to get in the car at all. Whenever possible, like I ride my bike to and from work. I, I, I you know, if something is within a mile, a mile and a half, I will walk there or I'll ride my bike. And I've been doing that for the most part for about six years. And am I single handedly gonna reduce global warming? No. But I'm not contributing to it. And I believe that it makes a difference and you have to, you have to believe it because if you believe it and your neighbor believes it and then they convince somebody else to believe it, now you've got all of a sudden before you know it, millions of people believing it and then it does make a difference. Absolutely. I agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just to wrap up real quick, um, I I did want to, do you... is there just anything you want to plug the the websites, charities, Twitters? Yeah, yeah, everything you possibly have, and the charity. Repeat the charities. Yes, again, I,
2: I, I, absolutely. The um, so I'm I'm running the Los Angeles Marathon on March seventeenth uh which is next uh this coming sunday uh why are they doing a marathon on st patrick's, patrick's day st patrick's day i know i they, and you've gone on the wagon for this right yeah yeah are you, uh, uh, afterwards oh my god i'm going to get so hammered you have no idea as i was talking with the the owner of my restaurant has actually has done multiple um uh, multiple marathons and and I was and I have to be on set the next day as well for a gig I got for I'm, and i and congratulations yeah thank you uh and they asked me they were like do you have conflicts I was like yeah I got to run the marathon on the 17th and like are you gonna be the okay the next day and I was like yeah yeah I'll be fine I have no fucking clue if I'm gonna be fine or not so <laughs> but I'm definitely I asked him I was like what was your recovery like and he's like my recovery consists of a couple of bottles of white wine. And I was like, all right, good. So after the race, we're going to, yeah, we're definitely going to toss a few back. Where are you going to go? Uh, I don't know. some uh that m- my girlfriend can carry me to within, <laughs> you know, it ends right by Santa Monica Pier. So there's all oh, sorts okay. of like, you know, I think I might try to stumble into Ye old King's Head or something somewhere around there. I don't know. Or just have friends, have a friend there with a, a six pack waiting for me. I don't know. There you go. Um, but yeah, so I'm running for the Guardian Scholars Program, um, and you uh, you can donate online at, um, if you're listening to this and you're interested, pause it now and get a pen. <laughs> 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 that was one thing I, I noticed is when I was a kid, even, like, I, I always hated that. You hear on, uh, they'll be like, here's the phone number, and they'd rattle it off real quick, and they'll be like, in case you didn't get that, here it is again. But even the whole, the total time between that is like, but when they give you the information, you're like... I don't have a pen yet. I don't have a pen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, take a second. Hopefully, you have a writing utensil now. Um, you can go to it's slash Macbeth Marathon because I, it had to be as long and complicated as possible. So, that's sh. I screwed that up, actually. It's not myorangewood.com, it's, it's myorangewood.org. Slash uh, Macbeth Marathon. If you're not totally confused yet, it that is www.myorangewood.org myorangewood. org slash m c b e t h m a r a t h o n. Typing that in will be a kind of a marathon in and of itself. <laughs> And uh, and they can donate no matter when because
1: this will be listenable. People will hear this in two years and whatnot. yeah, so yeah, absolutely. They can always donate to that charity. Yeah,
2: and th- this particular, um, if you go to the My Orangewood page, uh, this particular um, fundraising thing will only be available up until about a week after the marathon. But you can always, yeah, you if you just Google Guardian Scholars, um, you there, there's all kinds of different ways to to give and to donate to this charity. Uh, and with the expansion that we've seen over the last couple of years, there is, you know, if you're listening now in uh, Iowa, there's probably a Guardian Scholars program at at a university somewhere, you know, near you, regardless of where you are. So.
1: And is there any place people could check out your writings?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I I have a couple of th- YouTube right now. Is the it's the best place if you um if you just YouTube Jason Macbeth poet uh you'll find uh a few of my things from you know when i've been on tour uh most of my yeah and
1: you did the you've you've been on the televisions even because of poetry right y- yeah yeah not um, a lot of people can say that yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah not a lot of people can yeah we i i've had uh it, it, it's been it's been very good it's been even though it's actually to be honest it's not something that i do as as regularly as, as I used to, you know, it was something that, uh, you know, I spent several months just on the road going across the country, just reading poetry. That's what I was doing um, for a living. And it's something that, that um, a lot of people don't realize, but there are a lot of great young poets who do that. And, and it's a beautiful thing. They bring poetry and a much more accessible poetry um, to, uh, to people all across the country and, and students and at universities. It's really fantastic.
1: That's great. I don't think a lot of people need to. Is there other pl- avenues people can investigate that and find these poets? Because, I mean, your stuff. I watched a, quite a few of your videos, and I mean, it's great. And it's like when you see good poetry, it's like anything else. It's like you react. It's you know, you're. It's like seeing a great jazz band or whatever. It's yeah. Like it's it totally. You're in it.
2: Yeah. As yeah. an audience. And, and then you. And then you want more. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's. The, there's a small press publication called Right Bloody that I think does a really good job of championing. They've published a lot of these young these young poets and uh, and they do a good job of championing them um, and and the great thing about YouTube is like because of how it's set up with the the tags and everything, if you check out Jason Macbeth, then you'll see others of a similar vein um, and just a couple names that come to mind off the top of my head. It's like Derek Brown uh Buddy Wakefield, Anis Mojgani, um these are uh, uh, um Andrea Gibson. These are some people who just really uh they were some of my inspirations and and uh and and they're they're beautiful, wonderful poets and and uh, great performers as well. And they're doing beautiful work and uh, and and they do that regularly for a living. You know, I go, I go bartend, I go slang spirits, but um, <laughs> they they're, uh, they uplift spirits uh, and and do it regularly. And, uh, they're fantastic, so I certainly recommend checking them out, among many others.
1: Great, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt Weyer. Uh Go donate some money to Jason there, would you? And donate some money to me. I'm poor I need this uh, We we work very hard here at Feral Audio And we do what we can On a very minimal budget It it takes a lot to get you these shows Uh, But please Donate uh, Go to my page there at FeralAudio.com Donate some money If you can't donate money Go to the Amazon link And buy some bullshit I get a kickback of that Uh, You know Buy a book uh, Buy some poetry Check out some of the other shows On FeralAudio.com and that's that. I hope you're well. Power to the peoples. I'm a